0: Hi there, this is Jen with Conversations About Adoption. Today, I spoke with Emma Stevens. She wrote the um, two books, The Gathering Place and A Fire Is Coming. And you've probably seen her around in different Facebook groups and her Facebook page. She also reveals uh, recently that her actual name is Linda, and that Emma was a pseudonym she chose to use. Um, We'll talk about that in the podcast. Her story and her books. Um, before that, though, I wanted to mention, I don't know if you realize that if you come to my Spotify for Podcasters profile page, you can leave a voicemail for me. And I got my first one after they listened to the story of Natalie, which was my most recent episode. And I am going to play that for you now
1: your podcast is amazing and I'm so happy to have found it Uh, especially the last episode uh, about Natalie really made me feel like there's a tribe out there for me Um, so I'm a a Venezuelan who was born in Caracas and was adopted by French parents in 1995 and uh, I have no information about my my origins at all um, my adoptive parents never told me anything. They we were also terribly emotionally abusive, as well as physical sometimes. And I've been searching for my birth certificate, my original birth certificate, um, for years now and keep going into dead end after dead end because I have no information. But everything, the lack of paperwork, the discrepancies of documents that the French, um, the French adoption organization doesn't have, for example, everything points to the fact that my parents did illegal stuff, It's not 100%, but at least 50%. So we're trying to get to the bottom of that, and I'm, and I'm having to hire a lawyer to take my parents to court because they absolutely refuse to share any information.
0: Well, it sounds like she has a really, really interesting uh, story, and it's interesting to hear with these international adoptees how things are kind of sketchy in their countries as well. Um, I'd love to listen to more stories by international adoptees just to hear more about what it's like in their country and the things they have to go through. So I love getting any feedback. You can message my Facebook page. You can email me, info at conversationsaboutadoption.com. I know it's long, but it's very simple. You can, like I said, come to the Spotify for Podcasters profile page and leave a voicemail. And after the podcast, after you listen to the episode, if you scroll down in the show notes on Spotify, I'm not sure if it shows up on other apps, uh, there is a section where I've started leaving instead of just a random question, uh, like, what did you think of the show? Now it says something about like that person's story and if there's a way you can relate to it or a question related to their story and your experience. So if you would take the time to fill those out once in a while, I I would just love to hear what people have to say. Uh, And also don't forget to subscribe so you get notified when I put new episodes up. I'm trying to be more consistent about that and I hope it's uh, noticeable. So I hope you're all having a wonderful summer and now we will get to Emma. so i'm talking to emma stevens today the author of i forget the name of your book and for right now what is it again gathering place the gathering place yes
2: and the other one is a fire is coming
0: i saw that at the summit which reminds me i met you at the summit and um when i met you were like you were like jen and i'm like (laughs) and then you said a name and then i was like it wasn't connecting in my brain and i was a little confused can you uh,
2: absolutely clear that yeah. up for me? <laughs> I can and I've been cleaning that or clearing it up for a couple of weeks now. Of been trying to tell everyone that I've used a pseudonym all this time to write *The Gathering Place* and *A Fire Is Coming*. And there, I did that for a specific reason to use a pseudonym for of Emma Stevens. But um, certain things have changed. And so now I'm able to tell everyone that my name is Linda Campbell Pivak. And so I've been really excited to let everyone know that there's been an integration that's happened. Yeah. And I no longer have to ask a kind podcast host like you to um, not say my real name or have to edit it out. So I'm really happy just to be free. And I'm just Linda. I'm Emma. I'm whoever you want me to be.
0: That's great. That's really fascinating, Linda. Not Emma. So Emma is a pseudonym, it's not like your birth name or anything like that? No, I completely
2: borrowed that name from a yoga instructor that I really admired and she talked a lot about integration and breathing and and I was just really uh, just I just took her name. The first name was Emma and yeah. then the last name I made up from something else that was specific
0: that's interesting.
2: From, um, from the show in the 60s i'm sure you remember bewitched
0: oh i love it's bewitched it's one of my favorites i know
2: so stevens was their last name yeah and i did a creative license of where i spelled it the way i wanted to spell it it's not with a ph it's with a v yeah yeah and so it became emma stevens
0: oh, i like that that's interesting it's like creating your own alter ego Definitely
2: yes. Yeah. It, it was a lot like that. That's interesting. good. Bad of doing that.
0: I've thought about that too. Except the one I picked, it would be with my my birth dad's last name, just because I like the way it sounds. I'm like, but that uh-huh. might be kind of obvious if I write a book, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so what how? My, what was the reason you happened. used a pseudonym?
2: What made me? Oh well, because um, I come from a family that would not accept or tolerate any kind of you know, where, what's my adoption story? Mm. And um, they became elderly in the last few years when I decided I needed to write books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was a way for me to not have to wait for them to pass. Yeah, And I used that option to use a pseudonym, even though it was really challenging Yeah, uh, to go incognito like that and ask all my friends, tag me in a, a post. Don't put me in a picture. It got yeah. really cool complicated
0: i ask people to not tag me and adoption stuff i have it so i have to approve and then i explain to people like if somebody does i'll message them why i didn't approve it and it's because on my personal facebook page i have a lot of bio family and i try to and it's not even like i think or i'm afraid that they're gonna be nasty about it i just it's that fear Of not knowing how they would take it. So like. And like things are really good with my sister. And I don't want to mess that up. And you know like in my dad. We're just. It's mostly a texting relationship. But it's fine. I you know wasn't really expecting a whole lot. I mean. But there's just like that uncertainty. And I've already been rejected once. So I think that's why I'm a little more leery of it. So. So you're (laughs) an adoptee. And. I don't know. I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing you might be baby scoop era.
2: I am baby scoop era. Okay,
0: Definitely. me too. Yeah, and
2: file and all of that good stuff. And same race, U.S. domestic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that domestic infant supply phrase. Uh, so, mm-hmm. do you want to um, tell me some of your story? Were you adopted at birth or foster care, or how did how did your situation occur?
2: Foster care for three months until my birth mother decided to absolutely relinquish. Mm -hmm. Um, She was pretty sure she was going to all the way through. And then for some reason, you know, paused, hesitated for a a little while. And um, so at three months old, then that's when I went to my adoptive family. And my, I had an adoptive brother that was already there. He was two and a half years older than me. Um, So like I said before, it was a situation of where adoptive parents wanted to pretend like, let's whitewash this and pretend these children really were birthed by us. And we're not ever going to speak of it again. And if you do, you're selfish and ungrateful.
1: Oh,
0: I hate that narrative. Yeah, I really do. I really do. It's I like, know. only with adoption can they expect somebody to be okay with losing everything. And like, Let's just pretend like it didn't happen, and it really disturbs me. I, uh, I'm sorry that that was your well,
2: it really experience. Got into my parents, because they are they're on the spectrum, or they were on the oh, spectrum really of narcissism, and so it was like the answer to their prayer of you know we're just going to pretend and we're going to ask me to pretend too, and if I didn't pretend, then there was going to be some really harsh circumstances. Were your yeah.
0: adoptive parents silent generation?
2: Are they, were they what? Silent
0: generation, like they lived through the depression and stuff, or were they?
2: Um, they were pretty young during the depression, but um, I don't think that the that had anything influence. I know what had influence on them was that mm. they were both only children from their families.
0: Oh, each of them was an only child. Each of them was the only child.
2: Oh, And they both had a sense of entitlement. And then it was, we're going to build our fortune, our money fortune, and then we're going to add these two kids and they're going to play this part and you're going to play that part. And uh, they just had a very firm rule on the whole kingdom. (laughs) And they've just recently both passed. So it's been interesting for me to all of a sudden realize I'm free. Because if you're conditioned like that since the day you... Were brought home into that home and think that you press a button and know that, wow, I'm free now. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> so I'm currently working very hard on unraveling, untangling, and it was really essential to me to come out as Linda yeah. and say, Emma is a part of Linda, but yeah. Emma didn't write my books. So I wrote my books.
0: Yeah, I understand that. I'm trying, I'm struggling with like our condolences in order. I'm not sure because I don't know what your relationship was like with that. I've seen some adoptees that dance a jig when they're, you know, adopters yeah. die if they were abusive or, you know, well, it
2: wasn't, it, it was not really, I'm happy, but uh, it was definitely a trauma bond. Yeah. And and unhealthy, I was taught unhealthy love. So again, just currently trying to retrain myself and luckily our brains are plastic and we can rewire and reframe. Yeah. But at the same time, their love hurt, but yes, I loved
0: them. I understand that completely. Yeah, and it wasn't
2: freedom. Their love didn't represent freedom in any way.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. That, yeah, that's a difficult, it's a conflicted kind of situation i'm sure
2: very much so yeah it's just, again not a black and white situation um it's very much fluid of there were good things and there were a lot of bad things and a lot of in between
0: things and uh, i i had an um my adoptive mom's oldest aunt i mean oldest sister i'm sorry her oldest sister was in an arranged marriage of all things but it was in mexico city different culture and she was the first daughter and it ended up being a really abusive relationship and they had six children together and when my uncle dropped dead from an aneurysm my aunt became like this entirely different person because now she wasn't under this abusive man's thumb anymore and it was it was like that it was freeing for her it was this whole new awakening and we saw this side of her. We'd never seen before. Yeah. You know, and it's like, right. I can understand that it's, it's almost oppressive like what your parents did by keeping it this rigid kingdom. And this is how you have to be and the role you have to play. And that's a lot to put on a child. It's not really fair.
2: Not at all. It's just too much to think that someone else or even a baby is supposed to be responsible for your happiness. Right. And the thing is, with people like that, they're generally not ever happy. Mm-hmm. No matter what you do for them, I danced as hard as I could. I became anything they wanted me to be, and it still was eh, not quite good enough.
0: Yeah, you had that people pleaser thing going on. I did. I'm a yeah. recovering people pleaser
2: and perfectionist.
0: Yeah, I was never really a perfectionist, but my adoptive mom was always extremely critical. Like, you know, everything was always like, "Oh, that's really nice," but, you know. Right always the butt every single time. Like I would take, I'm five years old and I show her a drawing and it's like, that's really nice, but the sun's a little big or, you know, it was just, it was always that way. And it was like, thanks for squashing my joy. You know, it's hard. It's hard to grow up with parents that are like that. And
2: And it's hard to disconnect all that wiring Yeah, because it's a well-worn path
0: Yeah,
2: the system and everything. That's just how we react to things. And you know, you kind of learn to expect the other shoe to drop.
0: Yeah, exactly. Do you feel like your parents like quashed your emotions? Like, if you had strong feelings, were they understood and accepted, and nurtured, or were they like, you know, I always got the quit your crying or I'll give you something to cry about kind of comment? Yes. I hate that. Yeah. It
2: well, was you're too sensitive, you're too, um, you know, we just can't say anything to you without you overreacting.
0: Quit being such a baby. Yeah. Just I got that it, all the time. By the bootstraps. Yep. Yep. I I had this conversation with the first mom the one time and we were talking about that and I was very emotional as a, chi- a child. I didn't really ever show my anger. It always came out as tears. My and, too. and it was always like, like, I can remember trying to tie my shoe when I was four and not being able to do it and sitting on the step and just crying because I was so frustrated, but that was how it came out was tears. And like, you know, my parents would always be like, Oh, here, let me help you. Instead of that, they would be like, quit your crying. Don't be such a baby. Or why don't you know how to do this already? And, you know, and it's like, you know, I've tried so hard to be not that way with our kiddo, you know, like, and not, you know, emotions are important. Please talk about what you're feeling. You know, it's all valid. It's, you know, I try so hard. I make mistakes, I'm sure, but, you know, trying to break well, that
2: cycle. You said that about your reaction was just instant crying, because yeah. I had that reaction too.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So what I would do after I would get reprimanded, abused, whatever, go to my room, and I would get a pen, and I would, try to start writing them apology notes, Oh anything to make things right, anything to make the pressure or, you know, the silent treatment go away. Yeah. The good news is that's how I learned how to write. I yeah. get in touch with my emotions. What am I feeling? What do I want to say? And that's exactly, I would write them notes and slip it under their door. And then the next day they'd read it when they were calmer Yeah. and they generally were okay at that point, but sometimes not. And one time they said, you know what, Linda? You're a pretty good writer. You better not go writing a book about how
0: you, <laughs> you something. That's hilarious. Yeah. And then there's that meme I've seen, it's like where if you don't want people to speak badly about you, maybe don't uh
2: <laughs> treat them treat better.
0: <laughs> See, they knew. They knew <laughs> what they were doing. They, they just did. they did know. Oh that's even worse in a way. Yeah. So your brother, was he older or younger? And he was adopted too, right?
2: Yes, he was two and a half years older and also adopted, but from a separate family.
0: Yeah, so he wasn't your bio brother.
2: Not my bio brother.
0: Did you guys have a pretty good relationship growing up or?
2: Not too close because my parents, again, they knew the divide and conquer routine of where they didn't want us to have too strong of alliance because it wouldn't, be conducive to them controlling us oh wow we put a wedge in between us of oh look how smart your brother is or uh to my brother they'd say look how many friends your sister has why don't you be more like her and so we were always like we didn't know if we could trust each other
0: a little bit of competition and, thing going on yeah.
2: and at the time where I would say hey let's talk about this because look at our parents are really being weird don't you think mm-hmm. and he wouldn't be in a spot to trust me to talk about it so we'd go no what are you talking about? And then it would flip flop the next week. He'd come to me saying, let's talk about how weird our parents are. And I'd be going, I'm going to tell mom and dad, what are you talking about? (laughs) So it just went back and forth like that for forever.
0: And you're both struggling with the primal wound and not knowing it, you know, just complicates everything. So there's trauma responses combined with all of it. Oh, that's a lot.
2: Yeah. And by the time I did know I was struggling with the primal wound, and I went to him with information that I had about his own adoption and had it on a silver plant platter for him. And he didn't want it. It a pretty recently.
0: Males are differently They're or they're very different. It's, it's crazy because like, even before, um, you know, getting on social media, like the earliest adoption support group I was in was a local one. And there was like one guy, you know, and I'm sure he was only involved. He was a birth father. Uh I'm sure he was only involved because his wife, who was the mom, was involved. So like he was there by proxy. I don't think he would have necessarily sought it out, you know, and we talked Mm -hmm. about that often. And my friend who were in the group was a first mom and she had a theory that girls are more apt to be interested in finding because like we're able to give birth so we're kind of able to relate to like our mother's position of like creating a life and like and not and whereas the guys they don't carry the child it's different for them and she said they seem to have more of like a loyalty issue you know they're loyal to the adoptive parents because it's they really believe that whole grateful thing and you know and so it's where you find a lot less males searching you know for their families but even when I look at my analytics, it's like 75% women and 25% guys listen. So which is interesting. At least there's some guys listening. There are, right. Yeah. Yeah. You find the
2: ones that are speaking out very courageous.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And I and I like um I like listening to them and finding them finding them. Uh just recently on TikTok, I came across an adoptee who is vietnamese american his father was a soldier during vietnam and mm. he talks about how a lot of half vietnamese half american babies were shipped to the u.s for adoption during that time i didn't even think about that and he looks more indigenous i would have never thought he was vietnamese if he hadn't said that mm. you know but it's it's interesting yes it's crazy so I'm trying to think, like, what else? Oh, did did you grow up knowing you were adopted, or were you told later? Or okay, so it wasn't like they kept it a secret.
2: No, they didn't. They didn't do that. But they were really great at wanting to keep secrets. Yeah. But I think that at the time, do you remember Doctor Spock? And I heard the- of Doctor Spock. Yeah, my mom mentioned him, mm-hmm. and a lot of the women and parents followed him of what he said to a T things like, let the baby cry it out. Yeah, They're just going to manipulate you and things like that. So
0: (sighs) um, such a mistake that was,
2: but I was told at about three years old, let's just say as young as I can remember. And my first reaction um, is that I, I wept for my first mom. And that was, that was my biggest sin in front of my adoptive mother because she realized at that moment, I believe, that I was never going to be completely hers. Because mm-hmm. how could I have feelings for a woman I never met. That mm-hmm. was she was thinking, and it was, my mom is a very jealous woman. Really? She had a fear of scarcity of, you know, thinking that I should have what you have. You have a baby. I should have your baby. It was that mentality, the entitlement. Yeah, And so uh, at that moment from, from there on my mom and I, She knew that she could never completely control me.
0: Yeah. Did they struggle with infertility? Is that why they adopted? Yeah. Yeah. That
2: was the story. Yes. And I say that because it's kind of a flimsy story. I never really got to the bottom of it and I didn't ever really want to pursue it, but it, it, um, I don't know. I I come up with all kinds of theories, but ultimately (laughs) it was infertility.
0: Yeah. It's interesting it's almost like with parents like that you wonder if you ever really fully knew them or they always have a facade or a wall up and then like with my my mom in particular i've learned since i've grown up you know she passed away in 2008 and um my adoptive parents were much older my dad was born in 26 and my mom in 37 so they're actually my dad was the same age as my biological grandparents And, um, my mom, like she, I don't know, she grew up in Mexico city. Her mom had five children. She had to raise on her own because my mom's dad passed away when my grandmother was pregnant with the last one. And that was during the depression. It was bad down there too. And there was no social services. And so my mom went through a lot. She said, you know, there were times it was either eat or pay the rent, not both and my grandmother was kind of abusive cuz she didn't know what to do on her own and you know she would lock them in a closet when she had to go to work so they wouldn't go out and get into trouble so i try to tried to like reframe things and remind myself my mom went through some heavy shit herself yeah you know and she's trying to do better you know when you're a kid you can't really relate back to all of that but you know she did like my my grandmother actually dropped her four daughters off at an orphanage for a while but didn't tell them it was an orphanage i didn't find out till later when a cousin was working on a book that she'll never finish now because she passed but it was my mom thought it was a school that a boarding school that they were being left at that's what my grandmother told them but it was actually an orphanage and she took her son and went to new york city to try and make a go of it for a while and it's like who? like who yeah. knows what happened there you know that's um, so crazy that generational stuff when you really start thinking about it it's like did they do better did they do worse do they you know like i don't know like and they say a lot of times people that are narcissistic it's they develop narcissistic tendencies because it's a um like a defense mechanism from growing up with someone you know did your adoptive parents come from money or do you know because they were no neither one of them did no no, but
2: my mom had people that doted on her, meaning she had a her mother who was divorced. So yeah. I think that's where the loss of the father and she didn't get to really see him until later in life, but she had four aunts and they all doted on my mom, kind of like she's Scarlett O'Hara
0: <laughs> spoiled brat.
2: <laughs> yes. And I think that at that point they did her disservice by yeah. not getting her some help at that point. And as far as my dad, he was like the best at all sports. And he was the talk of the town. And he was not that they had any money or anything, but he was quite a legend in his own time. Really? So I think that it was just really uh, to them, everything was show by the time they got to be adults and trying to establish their kingdom. um, It was just a lot of show and we no one was to know what was going on behind closed doors
0: there was a lot of stuff that was like that because like when i was a kid i still remember like dinner parties and stuff like people don't really have them as often now i don't think but it was like the thing to do back in the 70s and 80s and i'm sure before that you know have the dad's boss over for dinner with his wife and like it was always like run around and clean the house has to be spotless and I would always like, and I would be little people pleaser mode and be like a waitress. You know, they would have bridge groups, you know, every Tuesday and on Saturday nights it would rotate around the neighborhood. And when they were there, I would have a towel on my arm and a tray and I learned how to make beverages and I would go around with the silent butler and empty the ashtrays and pretend like at night when I was going to bed, I'd go around and kiss everybody that was there, you know, when I was a little kid, like, yeah i was like a little showpiece or something a, a bit you know look what, look what cute things she can do okay go watch tv and oh, you like
2: know, the entertainment
0: yeah yeah and i was i always wanted to be included in everything you know i i always had a big fear of rejection but like i've always had a I, i've always felt like i've taken it really really personally and really hard anytime i felt rejected And um, I don't know if that's like an adoptee thing, but I found it's an ADHD thing because um, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, they call it, where people, yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know if other adoptees, did you ever feel that way? Like if somebody you knew was doing something and you weren't invited, did you, like, did it really hurt your feelings and, or was it like, eh? (laughs) No,
2: no, I think I, um, but I was always the first to kind of slink off by myself and isolate um, instead of sticking around and making sure that I really was rejected maybe I even rejected myself before it got to that point yeah like and, a uh, one of my uh worst uh the 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 game that we played as kids called musical chairs yeah yeah I hated that game so much because then it would become the music stops and even if it was a chair right there for me um, and the other kid was trying to push me out, you know, to put their butt in the seat first. Yeah, I would allow them to do so. Really, and, and would be the first to say, "Okay, that's fine. I'm okay on my own. I'm just going to go over here." And that's kind of been like a theme with me. Not oh. anymore, but when I was growing up, yeah, it was I just rather isolate and be by myself rather than figure out what that rejection it was. It hurt too much, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Just remove yourself so you don't maybe feel it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was also fiercely independent when I was little. I, everything was like, I can do it myself. I never wanted any help and I'm still, I'm still kind of that way. Sometimes (laughs) there's been times when I've had shout like a surgery and my partner's like, would you just let me get it for you? And I'm like, okay. Like I hate, I I hate having to rely on somebody. Yeah. like I really do. It's, yeah, I, he it's a skill
2: when you when you finally get to the point where you can ask for help, and it not be a needy kind of help, right? Yeah, it's just really a human being to another human being. Yeah. I need a little help here. And it. I think it's a skill that you have to practice. And I finally did. I was pushed to uh, the wall of where I had to accept help. Really? It happened in my life seven years ago. And it really ever since then, I've been a changed person. Really? Yeah, definitely. Care to
0: elaborate a little bit on. And
2: I've talked about this before. It's that I um, reckoned with the fact that I was an alcoholic and that I really did have a problem and the denial started to just crack. And I fell to my knees and went to a counselor and said, I'm powerless over alcohol. Hmm. And uttering those words, they always say, if you just give it voice, then it will start to heal you. It was a long road. But until yeah. I did that, um, I wasn't able to truly know myself. I wasn't able to um, be fearful of everything, just like the musical chair syndrome. Yeah. Now I'm more able to stand there and say, that chair's mine. I'm going to sit there and <laughs> assert yourself. Seven years ago, I had a spiritual awakening yeah. on a lot of different levels. You know, we talk about coming out of the fog
0: yeah.
2: for adoption. And I did that too. But it was so many other things that I had enlightenment about at the, it all converged.
1: Yeah,
2: And I've learning so much over the last seven years. And then that's when I got so full of all these ideas and who I was as a person. I had to write those two books or I was just going to burst.
0: <laughs> Not just one, but two.
2: Yeah, and I spit them out pretty quick. They were pretty much back to back. Wow. Because I have. I just had to learn a way to put it on paper.
0: Yeah, I've been talking about writing a book ever since I went through a reunion because so many of the things I learned about myself were like, like smack in the head, kind of. And the idea of sitting down and writing a book sounds like really f- formidable. I don't know. I don't have the attention span to do that. I've talked about it on another episode where what I started is I have a file, a folder on my desktop. And then every once in a while, when something comes to me, I'll write a Word document about. And then I just put it in there so that, you know, eventually I can go back to them and elaborate more on them. And they'll at least be a basis for something, you know, I figure for me, it's a system I think that will work because the idea of just sitting and just trying to write, I just... I started once and I lost it all and it was like heartbreaking, so. Oh, you lost it on your laptop? It was on a tablet and I lost it. Oh,
2: yeah. Don't do I that. Had, I had a cat that urinated on my laptop <gasps> when I was writing The Gathering Place and luckily I just printed off a copy at the local copy store. So I had a backup, but the it was fried.
0: Oh, so I- that's terrible.
2: I know. I thought so it in the
0: book. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'd have been so upset. Now I'm like, better back it up to Google. Docs back something. it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like your
2: idea, Jen, about writing the bones of your book and just saving it in a document of, you know, and then at one point, you're going to sit down and look at it all lay it out in front of you. And maybe you'll see a theme arise from all of the bones that you put out there. And then you just start weaving it all together.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. Cuz also with with like being in school, I have a hard I had a hard enough time like doing my assignments sometimes with like my focus and I tend to procrastinate a little bit. And then like so because of that, if I spend any time doing anything else like making podcast episodes, that's why I didn't for like I would get a little blur, I'd be like I have a break, I'll like record a couple. Um I feel guilty if I put time into other things when I wasn't doing it in the schoolwork. So, you know, that's where it's one thing to just write a one page, you know, a couple page document and at least get the idea out there. So, yeah, that's really, that's interesting. It's almost like you're a natural writer by that idea. that just, that was your instinct to write a thank you note to your parents. That's really interesting.
2: It was really an escape because yeah. i wanted them i wanted them to forgive me because if you've ever been under the silent treatment of where you feel like you're a a foreigner in your own home mm-hmm. you shouldn't eat food there you shouldn't really take up space in a bed you shouldn't all of this you shouldn't walk through your home mm-hmm. um, it was excruciating yeah so for me to say please forgive me because this is torture and that's why i wrote That's what I wrote those notes.
0: That silent treatment is very toxic.
2: It is is like almost more damaging than the blows that they gave me.
0: Oh, so they were abusive too?
2: Very. Oh, I'm sorry. That's terrible. Yeah, they were drinkers, but it didn't necessarily have to be alcohol. Uh, But it was very often the case. Really? They did a lot of inadequacies that they never explored within themselves. And I mean, this is me talking as, you know, backing up and seeing what caused them to be the way they were yeah um and they just were unable to see what they were doing not that that's forgiveness or an excuse or anything Yes, they
0: still have a choice
2: but it did release me because i realized it really had nothing to do with me
0: right it's not your fault that it happened not my fault. it yeah. was never my job
2: to prop them up and right. make them happy
0: right Forever. right i i was recently talking to my niece she is my biological brother's daughter my biological brother is a waste of energy and um she knows it which is what's really sad and she recently got a tattoo and i saw it on facebook and i was like can you tell me what it's about and she sent me a private message to explain it and it's like a pomegranate and on one side is a a hand with flesh and everything and on the other side is like a skeleton hand and she said it symbolized her and her mom getting away from her dad's abuse and so she didn't really know much about his story so i kind of explained what i know about it and i said this in no way excuses anything he has ever done, but it's just to gain a little understanding. Yes. You know, because she's like 16 now. And, um, but yeah, you know, because it's people can still make the choice to be a better person. They don't have to allow that history to repeat, you know?
2: Yeah, that generational trauma is real.
0: Oh, yeah. No, Definitely. Doubt. no doubt. Definitely. Definitely. It, it so real <laughs> yeah yeah so did you um I, I have to admit I don't have your book yet and so I don't know your story but I did you go through a reunion did you I have. A reunion?
2: yes um in fact I first found my birth parents when I was in my early 20s oh wow and but I was still very much uh, in the fog oh, I really. was just 24, And I was like going to go, you know, find them and everything was going to be great. And you can't tell me what to do. And I use a very unorthodox way to find my records. And so I was able to find um, birth parents. But it wasn't until, oh gosh, seven years ago that I really started coming out of the fog of the magnitude of how indoctrinated I've been under adoption. From the industry, from my parents, from society, from all of it.
0: Can you share how you got your documents in an unorthodox way? Because now I'm curious.
2: Okay. Well, it seems to be the favorite among <laughs> a lot of people. It, um, well, it's funny because I've used a fictitious name to write my books. Yeah. Yeah. So my birth mother used a fictitious name in the maternity home when she was pregnant with me and never used her real name until she sent a letter after I was born she sent a letter to the adoption agency and she finally signed her real name And so after I went to the agency and was getting non-identifying information yeah and they said, oh by the way, there's a letter here that she sent and we never knew she used a fake name and my ears went up because I was like what because <laughs> I didn't know that and huh. but that told me that the only reason I, only way I'd ever find her is if I had the letter that they had but they wouldn't give to me they would just black out the name so there was a heist involved of where I had a boyfriend at the time and (laughs) we went undercover in the dark of night and uh, used a flathead screwdriver and opened the adoption agency door and went straight to the files and I found my file and my brother's file you read. Took it to the local library and um, made copies of everything. Then I, everyone loves this part too, because they're like, did you actually steal all the documents? And I said, no, I returned them. I broke back into the adoption agency (laughs) to return the stolen adoptee files, because I couldn't live with that, right? Um, So I came right back where I took them. And this was all the same night that we broke in in the first place. No one... It was in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. No, no security. There was no big no lock cameras. Cameras, um, but uh, of course, I was petrified, thinking for sure we were going to get caught and hauled to jail. <laughs> <laughs> so put them right back where we got them and left. And I've never heard another word from. You know, I never got that phone call. I never got that knock on the door that said, "We know what you
0: did." That's so funny. I have my whole file. That's amazing. Yeah. I wasn't through an agency, I was a private adoption, but I have the papers that my mom had, it's this long white envelope, it says adoption papers, and it's got a letter from the lawyer, the bill for the adoption, lawyer's fees, my original, not my original, my amended birth certificate, and my um, adoption decree, mm-hmm. and a little envelope with some baby hair, because... Mexicans Mexicans always keep hair I don't know yeah. if everybody else does but my mom always kept a little tiny bit of baby hair and um yeah they were just they were told nothing it was private adoption and they weren't told anything Yeah. and what they were told was not exactly accurate because my mom was not my adoptive my birth mom was not forthcoming about who my dad was only on my birth certificate which I feel like she did it on purpose because I found out when I was searching in nineteen seventy-one, the birth mom was not required to put the dad on there.
2: Huh. It wasn't
0: until seventy-four they required it. Well, she put him on there, but she didn't tell anybody else who it was. I felt like either I'm hoping it's such a dream that she did that because she was hoping that I would, you know, get that information that way. You know, but she definitely knew who my dad was. I got it confirmed by DNA. So she was not not incorrect. Yeah, because my grandmother didn't know. I was like, she's like so who's your dad and I was like I was hoping you could tell me she's like she never told me and I was like really but then when I told my dad he was like if your grandma knew she would have made us get married so (laughs) it's crazy isn't
2: it mine's real similar that um, even though my first mom used a fictitious name on Mm -hmm. my um, unamended birth certificate my original <laughs> certificate oh
0: she put the oh, fictitious she, name on the birth certificate she too
2: she did wow no, I knew I would never be able to find her because she most likely had put it on the original also and so but she totally gave up birth father and put his name on the birth certificate oh that's
0: funny she put his real name and <laughs>
2: yes but hers it was incognito And so I actually found him first.
0: Did you ever get the story why she did that? Like, did you ever get to talk to her?
2: I did talk to her. Yeah. Uh, And I don't know. She was very uh, hard to understand. I don't know. Now that I know what I know could be trauma where she's kind of stuck in time Mm -hmm. and honestly can't remember how everything fit together. Yeah. She was vague about who he was. And I said, well, his name's right here on the birth certificate. Well, I don't even remember who that is. And so a lot of things didn't line up and our reunion pretty much fell apart after a few years. Yeah. When I met birth father, he said, I said, why is your name on my birth certificate? And he said, I was only helping out a friend. I'm not your bio dad. Did you and do so DNA? Daughter, well, not until 30 years later. Ah, uh, yeah. 24 when I found him. Yeah, yeah. 30
0: years later, it confirmed that yes, he was. So you had no relationship with him after, like he never acknowledged it or?
2: Uh, no, we never spoke again. And in fact, by the time I did DNA, he had a two years prior. Okay. And so I didn't get to um, go to him and say, hi, you really are. But um,
0: <laughs> I, I got I to do that to my dad.
2: Um, I have lots and lots of cousins, so I've had a lot of reunion with his, um, it would be his brothers and sisters, children. Okay. So I know all of them, they've accepted me totally. It's a really Aww. good situation. That's great. And they, they've even said, I don't know why he was a really nice guy. I don't know why he would treat you like that.
0: It Maybe it's, it was- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: I just said, that means a lot to me that you would even say that about your own uncle that, you know you think that he shouldn't have done that to me Mm -hmm. so i really appreciated that my
0: dad didn't believe it was him because like i i i met my dad at a bar it was like it was a really weird situation like the day i met my brother that's when that whole thing happened with my grandma asking like i thought you could tell me who your dad was and um my When I told my grandma, she immediately folds her arm, leans back and she's like, that makes perfect sense. And I'm like, okay. And then my brother pops up and he's like, hey, I know him. He goes to the same bar I go to every Thursday and sings karaoke. And I'm like, what? So I didn't know any other way I was going to meet this guy. So I did. I went to the bar and we had this whole signal worked out with my brother where he was supposed to be like, that's him. You know, when he walked through the door kind of thing as soon as he walked through the door i was shaking like a leaf and i couldn't do it and i had to call my friend who was the first mom that organized that support group i was in and she's like you're gonna do it that's what you're there for she gave me like this hour-long pep talk as to you know this may be your only chance blah 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 blah, blah." and i'm like okay fine and um so then i walked up to him and i'm like do you remember and then he turns and he looks at me and he was like yeah i don't like that was my mom and he was like oh and then he's then he's really looking at me like really looking hard at me and i'm like yeah and uh she put on my birth certificate that you're my dad and then he was like i'm sorry <laughs> And he's this poor guy's at a bar like having a drink and he's got people around him and I'm like hey by the way you're my dad And then he proceeds to tell me he didn't think it was him. He thought it was this other guy um, because they always hung around together. And he's like, but he's dead too. And DNA at the time was so expensive. It was like still $400 per person for like an attorney test because I looked into it. And um, so I believed him because he went above and beyond. He got me in contact with this dead guy's ex-sister-in-law and she had family photos and she he didn't know how far down the rabbit hole adoptees are willing to go (laughs) (laughs) and I found (laughs) everybody in that family Mm -hmm. and even had a relationship with his this dead guy's son is like my brother for 16 years because we saw similarities I don't know if we were looking for them but it was just crazy and then when I finally did DNA uh, the first the closest match was like this 90 year old person and it was like this person is your cousin and i'm like what so i had to do the whole get some help from an fb group and they're like that could be an uncle and lo and behold he was long story short he was my dad and then i called him on the phone the one day was like hey guess what and all he said was wow (laughs) you know and i'm like and you have a grandchild now he's like wow (laughs) it was like (laughs) it really blew his mind yeah It was funny. He's like, you know, your mom and I weren't even that close. I'm like, well, close enough at one point. And he was like, That's right. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, yeah. right.
2: Yeah. No it's, wiggling out of that one.
0: Nope. Once the DNA, yeah, it's it's funny. I look like him too, so or I feel like I do. But yeah, it's it's what a web we weave, you know, our right. ancestors. So, did you have any um no bio siblings or just cousins?
2: Um, I I have three half-brothers. Oh, you do? Two on my uh, birth mother's side and one on my birth, birth father's
0: side. Wow. Do you have any kind of connection with them at all? Like, do you talk? Is um, it we kind of weird?
2: We know where each other, we know where we are, but I don't really feel like I'm like any of them. Oh, really? Not really. I have some cousins that I really have gotten that genetic mirroring from, mm-hmm. um, and that feels really good. And- But as far as the half, there's one half brother, but he lives in Germany. Maybe he's even in Poland now. I'm not sure. And I feel like I probably am closer to something like him than any of the others. But I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's also awkward. That's like my favorite word for reunion. Like, it's just, it's awkward. And uh, so your books that you wrote is like, one of them is, are they both memoirs? What, what are they? Can you tell me about your books? Right. Yeah.
2: The first one is um, I would say more of my healing path of where I weave my remember your bones, how you told me you wrote all your little stories. And then I weave my story with is I did the EMDR in psychotherapy and it it helped me connect past memories with present and sort of uh, try to get rid of those erroneous ideas about yourself that you're a bad baby or a a, a person that doesn't deserve to take up space. And that's just all me telling myself lies. So in that process, I was able to imagine the gathering place, which is the safe place where I go to be con- uh, contemplate life and think about what my wishes and dreams are. Interesting. And so that is how I created the gathering place. Then I ask younger parts of me to come visit me at the gathering place. And we, I, it's like my older self gets to counsel my younger part saying, you know, this was wrong that this happened to you. You're going to make it be strong. I'm going to help you. I'm here now. I'm sorry. It took me so long to get here, but I'm here. That inner child stuff, like inner child things. And so I go back and forth between things that happened in my life and then me counseling younger parts. And I think it works. It seems like it is meaningful to people about, you can everyone can create their own gathering place
0: yeah when you um when we were at the summit did you do a presentation
2: no, I did no. not. Okay. i had my books there at the table but i did not i wasn't a facilitator
0: so hard because like there are so many presentations like i want to see all of them did did you buy the the thing with the coupon where you could get access to all of them no i didn't i did but i haven't I haven't checked them all out yet. I'm really hoping that recording of Laura High is in there because she was hilarious. Yes, I
2: heard she was really terrific. Did you
0: miss her show? I did. I missed that part, too. Oh, my God. It was so <laughs> funny. She came out on stage wearing a sperm costume. It, a what kind of costume? Sperm. You know, because she's donor-conceived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really? was hilarious. Yeah. She's so funny. It was all great. It was, it was an amazing... It was so amazing to be there and, like, to meet everybody.
2: Because so all these people, like, even you, I know your face. So when I saw you standing there in the hallway, yeah, I was like, hi, Jen. I was like, hi. <laughs> like,
0: there was a no few moments like that Facebook where I didn't
2: know point. somebody. no one had seen my face you all you knew was uh, a logo Emma Stevens was only a logo she didn't show up until I think I showed my face at that conference yeah
0: but your face was familiar though
2: well I did go to the premiere of reckoning with the primal wound in September and in Long Beach California that was the very first time I showed my face really But I, I was tagged as Emma Stevens okay so possibly seen that but you're
0: also my friend is linda campbell pivac see that's why i knew your face and that's why i was so confused <laughs> there's two people out there. yeah <laughs> like that's where i thought you had a twin or something i was like i feel very confused
2: right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right you were foiling all of us for a while but that must be very freeing to be able to just like not have to worry about hiding that yeah identity anymore
2: Yeah, and it was getting kind of messy psychologically for me because um, I started, I grew up on fantasy of, you know, always wanting to be someone I'm not or marry someone that seems too good to be true and get into things that are shiny. And so here I am trying to be my authentic self and I'm using a pseudonym (laughs) would be like, what, what am I doing? I was mother uses a pseudonym too.
0: That's, that is, what are the odds, you know? I, I've i always wanted to try that EMDR. Also, brain spotting is another one I thought would be interesting to try.
2: Yes, all so. of that is, I find very beneficial um, to really make all those implicit memories that we have that are part of us, but we it was pre-verbal and we couldn't put language to it.
0: There's a lot of stuff that I have struggles remembering, like remembering from when I was a child. Like I can remember very specific things that happen but most of my childhood's kind of like a blur and every once in a while something will come back to me and I'm like oh you know but it it's very much that way where there's giant chunks of my childhood that I don't have any memory of all like if I didn't have photos from like these times that I was in Mexico as a child I like I remember I mean I learned Spanish You know i know my cousins and stuff like that but i don't it's just it's all muddled you know and i had to ask my adopted sister one time like in my brain for years i thought i had been to mexico three times as a child but then like if i was to start talking about it and telling a story i'm like so i had to ask my sister i'm like how how often do we go to mexico she's like we went every other year and i was like Mm -hmm. really And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I mean, I, I don't remember that. But then when she, when I was 14, she got married and moved across country to California. We lived in, in Pennsylvania and my mom's trips to Mexico stopped. And instead of going to Mexico every year, we would go to California every other year. And on the other years, my sister would come back home and so then it made sense. So it's like, oh, but yeah, I didn't I totally don't remember going every other year. I I really don't.
2: It's, yeah, it's interesting the way memories work. Um it,
0: yeah, it is. It's really strange. But it explains why I know my cousins all so well. You know, even though we don't see each other that much when we do see each other it's like, ah, you know, and like I love my Mexican cousins. They're they're the they're the best, but it's just like still it's so fuzzy. I hate that. I really do. Yeah. That's where I use, I use other tools
2: to wake up my senses. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, you use photographs because it proves it happened. Yeah. And, um, other things like music will bring you right back to the moment of you can remember who you were with, what you were doing, or yeah. uh, touch any of our senses can help, I feel like trigger memories to remember, oh yeah, that was long buried, but now I'm remembering it.
0: Yeah, like in my adolescence, especially with my teen years, there are definitely certain songs that when I hear them, I go right to a moment, you know, like the first slow dance or, you know, things like that. And it takes you right there. Music really does hit like a certain part of the brain. You know, it's fascinating. So your therapist that you went to, were they um, adoptee competent or an adoptee at all or? like well okay that's a long story
2: but <laughs> that's <laughs> the book is a fire is coming oh, okay um early on when I was first married I went to a counselor and um it was a bad bad situation and no she was far from being adoptee competent mm-hmm. I would go to her for help with that but I didn't receive any help and so the, a fire is coming, starts off with, there's an actual fire in California in Laguna Beach in 1993, mm. and we are trying, my husband and I are trying to escape the fire, but then it becomes as the story, I weave the fire throughout the, the whole story that my psychologist becomes the fire oh. and she to consume me and make me her own, let's just say. Wow. Do you have
0: an audio version of it? I do. I have audible for both books. Oh, that's good.
2: And a fire's coming.
0: That's good. I will have to, I, I have difficulties with reading. I, you know, aside from my ADHD, I've had a couple head injuries and I, I have a really hard time like sitting and reading a book. I can make it like 10 or 15 minutes and my brain's like, it's time to sleep now. And it's, it's very frustrating. Like all through school, I kind of had to adapt. And either use a screen reader that would read my textbooks to me um, or, or Audible, you know, I'm glad, I'm just glad there was ways for me to adapt, but yeah, it's, so that's definitely, I'll have to look for them. I don't have Audible right now, but they're always begging me to come back. So maybe I'll come back for a couple months and download some audiobooks and try to get, get yours because they sound like they'd be really, really interesting to listen to. So they're available on Audible and your books are available on Amazon too? That's correct. Yes. you have a, a personal website where you'll you can buy them as well
2: or I don't have a website. No, okay. I don't. But you can go directly to Amazon and um or the Audible and then yeah. you can get her back and Kindle and all the good stuff.
0: Okay. That's that's good. That's really good. Um I'll make sure those links are in the show notes. Great. And um I'm just trying to think if there's anything else. And your brother, does do you guys still talk or? Your adopted um, brother,
2: he passed away. He had early death. Oh, that's a shame. I, I really call it um, death by adoption, to be honest with you. Really?
0: That's not the he first never, time I've
2: heard that he never dealt with his adoption angst. And he had no idea that it was the result of his um, it, adoption coloring his entire life for addiction, for uh, uh, communication skills, for relationship failures, for work, things that fell through, and then at the end, he became very codependent with one of his sons that had his own addiction, and they just were codependent together, and my brother had a fatal
0: heart attack. Oh, wow. That's so sad. I'm sorry about that yeah somebody else said that to me too they were talking about their sibling and they literally use that same expression death by adoption because their sibling didn't didn't deal with any of it either and it's true like that i listened to the body keeps the score this past over the winter semester while i was driving back and forth to school and um it's it's really something (laughs) i gotta listen to it again i it's he talks about emdr in there too but it, it makes sense, you know, it, it really does. And then you combine that with the science. Um, there's this paper that I found called The Neuroscience of Birth and the Case for Zero Separation. It's one of my favorite ones to cite. And it doesn't have anything to do with, about, uh, with, with adoption. It's just about the practice of putting babies in a nursery at the hospital that they used right. to do. And how the initial moments are so important baby stays with mom and talking about the skin to skin and that when the baby's not with mom they're in a state of dysregulation but because they're an infant and they can't fight or flee you know they're helpless and so like you know we can't do anything and we're reliant on our caregivers to take care of us we can't so like i've heard where people talk about themselves being described as either babies that cried all the time or Mm -hmm. they were such a good baby but in the meantime in the brain there's no oxytocin you know it's flooded with cortisol and he talks about how um you know that prolonged separation from mom can predispose the baby to um, high blood pressure and diabetes and obesity and things like that and it's like wow (laughs) like Uh, it's
2: very neuro I mean it's a biological developmental yeah thing that happens to us and it changes us at that stage of where we're developing at a different
0: um have different just it's not natural no no and it's so crazy because everybody thinks it's just fine you know if you push if you speak out against adoption you have the worst things said to you it's it's amazing you're just ungrateful you know you should be glad you had anywhere to go and i don't know how much like online speaking out about adoption you have done but lisa um lisa scott who's working on the film have you heard about that oh yes all Uh, it takes all you have have is love all you have is love she was telling me you know she says you know she's advocated for a long time and wrote about stuff and always got the pushback and she's made this observation that these people that are pushing back on us all the time and saying things like oh would you rather be in an orphanage rather be adopted or aborted you know what should we do with all the kids they like forget that there's more than just foster care Mm -hmm. they forget about the adoption industry the newborn adoption industry and how you know that whole thing exists aside from foster care or they just have in their brain that well if the kid doesn't get adopted it's going to go into the foster care system but that's not how it's going to work because there's so many hopeful adopters waiting for every single one that comes up they get snatched up right away you know everybody still wants the fresh baby (laughs) that's right yeah it's crazy it really is i i i talk often about you know all the movies and, and books and TV, and then call it propaganda that just pushes this narrative that adoption is inherently positive. You know?
2: Oh, yeah, right. And um, I was with someone recently that um, I really a, a admire and respect, and just a, a very great human being. Mm-hmm. But he, and I told him, he said, What are you doing these days? And I told him, I shared with him that I'm an adoptee advocate. And that um, I've written two b- books about my adoption and mm-hmm. how I feel like it's colored my entire life. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, that's wonderful! My brother has adopted six children. Oh my god! And one from each country. Oh my and god!" We can laugh saying how it's the United Union at his house. Oh my god! And so I was like, "That's great, but do you ever think about how they've lost their culture and how do you?" make sure that each one of them is tended to of what the needs that they have. I mean, I said it in a very Mm -hmm. respectful way, but, and he was saying, I see what you're saying. There is a lot more to be said than just the beauty of adoption and how, you know, the narrative that we most often hear, there's, there's a whole nother side to it of what those children um, that the United Nations
0: aren't getting. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like that, uh, you know, UN convention of the rights of the child, And how, like, the United States is the only country that hasn't ratified it yet. Oh. Because if they do, they have to stop, like, making our identities a secret. And they have to stop imprisoning teenagers, you know.
2: Yeah. Just, you know, we were the first. um, Identity theft was exactly what they had in mind for adoptees. Because it's just flat out
0: illegal to do that. (sighs) Thanks, Georgia. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, you know, I think there's still what only nine or ten states that you can get your original birth certificate.
0: Uh, it's good. Uh, I think it's fourteen now. Oh, we got up to fourteen. Two Great. more. Two more recently, just joined the ranks. Okay. Yeah. I was
2: very happy to legally, um, many years later, get my uh, unamended birth certificate legally and pay <laughs> the thirty-five dollars. I have my
0: stolen copy. But then <laughs> <I have> my <laughs> copy i will not do what they in pennsylvania they have this thing where if you pay twenty dollars and fill out this form they will send you a uncertified copy of your birth certificate where literally all they do is pull it type the information up on a sheet of paper and send it to you i'm like i already have that i yeah. want actual certificate right like mm-hmm. i already i know everything and every once in a while i will just like call orphans court and be like hey um I know everything now. Can I get my records? You're like, nope. You know.
2: No.
0: You have to prove to a judge like uh you need it because of medical necessity or there's there's got to be like a really good reason. And I guess I could probably now, you know, send something in to the judge and explain like, "Hey, I already know everything. Can I just have the records, you know, for my own personal records because they're about me?" And just like plead to him, but I, I, you know, I don't know if that would even work or if it'd be a waste of time. I might try it one of these days because I, I tend to, I go like in flurries of trying to round up more information whenever I can. You well, know. and
2: every once in a while, there'll be a mistake that's made and someone will give you information that they didn't intend to give you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I had to, I had to go through an intermediary. Um, In Pennsylvania, they make you write into Orphan's Court and request an intermediary. And this was back in 2001 when I did mine. And um, it's just, she told me, she's like, they literally treat your record like it's got nuclear secrets in it. They put her in this little tiny room with glass walls, with that security glass. And Mm -hmm. all she could take in there was a legal pad and a pencil. And my file was in there, and that's it. It's like, and then, you know, and she's being watched, and I'm like, what, what, you know, it's just a little kid's records now, an adult. Like, what's the big deal? Like, why yeah. this massive secrecy? I, it's it doesn't uh, make any sense. No, it's there, it defies all logic. It really and truly does. So, and if
2: it was if it was them and they were in our shoes, then they'd understand. But exactly. it's just that example of someone not being able to have empathy about well you know that's your problem that's not my problem so i don't feel it
0: yeah i it was funny because the like i was talking about that birth mom she kind of made it her life goal to try and reunite adoptees and their parents and um so she knew all the loopholes that's where i was laughing when you were telling me how you broke into the agency because when i told her the hospital was born at and they said we don't have your record she goes yeah they do She's like, they're locked up in a mass uh, a mattress factory attic down by the riverfront. And I'm like, how do you know? She's like, don't ask. But like, <laughs> she apparently told me later her and another first mom broke in there trying to get her kids records so that she could <laughs> help her reunite with her kid. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> yeah. But that was in the 80s, you know. Right.
1: But I ended up
0: getting them. Um, there was this way you could fill out this form. And it took a while. But they would go and they would pull the microfiche. All the records are on microfiche. And yeah. they sent me copies of everything from when I was born. So I finally know I was born like around 9 a.m. And I was like five pounds, something yeah. ounces. But that was the only way I had any information. Like you really have to dig to find out anything about yourself. And it's so wrong <laughs> that we and have to go through that.
2: You get the top secret information of your birth, your own birth.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I should probably let you go. We've been talking for a while. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, I just really enjoy our adoptee
2: community. And I'm uh, at a point now where I'm going to be getting out there and being more of an advocate. I'm going to a retreat uh, later. Is it this week or next week? No, I think it's this Thursday. I go to the High Rife retreat in oh. Texas. Yeah. So I'm teaching people about writing to heal oh that's great i know so i'm looking really forward to that and it won't be only adoptees it'll be probably donor conceived and late discovery i'm not sure who else is
0: going to be there but yeah
2: really looking forward to doing more and more of that kind of thing have you
0: thought about doing like zoom events where you can you know like say for example like i have my facebook group it's got like 1700 people in it or whatever and you know, we could do like an event like, you know, Emma's going to, and you could do like writing prompts and do a, a talk or something like that, you know, work with groups and, and do things like that. Cause I think I've seen like adopted chameleon. She's done that with somebody, um, maybe Daniel Gaudette uh, and like uh, fireside adoption. They've done things like that. Zoom meetings with people that gave talks. So like, have you thought about doing events like that online
2: anything, anything and everything that's yeah. adopted related that's that seems to be my new my purpose in life is i'm going for um it makes me happy and it really feels like you know when you feel comfortable finally in your own skin yeah that's where i am right now
0: that's good that's great i'm glad for you it's you. i'm glad that you're able to let everybody know who you are it still is yeah. emma stevens on zoom
2: <laughs> oh, okay. no, you're right i need to change that
0: or you can put a slash mark you know put both right the first your actual name and then slash emma stevens aka i'm mm-hmm. probably gonna put that in your little show photo i'll put cool. your linda aka okay. emma stevens That'd be and perfect. then i'll put the um what i've been doing for some people is on the little show notes saying i'll have like a cover of their book and their photo you know or mm-hmm. their project so I'll do something like that
2: I have two new book covers, so I'd love to send that to you if
0: you wanted to include that. Yeah, sure. I wish okay. I could put photos in the show notes, but it doesn't allow you. Oh, okay. Yeah. My okay. last guest sent me a picture of her and her first mom and I was like, holy cow, the mirroring is so Oh yeah, so strong, you know, and it would be so cool if I could fit that in there, but I haven't figured okay. out a way to. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Emma. It was great talking to you or Linda. What do you prefer? I really don't care, honestly. Okay. All
2: right. Yeah, I'll answer to either one. <laughs> thank you, All Jen. Right.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. It was great meeting you at the summit and getting to talk to you on the podcast.
2: I'm sure we'll see more of each other.
0: <laughs> yes, definitely. All right, take care.
2: You too, bye. Bye.